Welcome to another episode of This is Hot Boga. Uh, before we get started, we'd like to thank a few companies for making this podcast possible. First up is Sturka Optics. We've been using their glass for a long time and love the quality and the, the amazing warranty that they provide. If you want to learn more about Sturka Optics, go to sturkastrong.com. So next up is Hill People Gear. Uh, we've had them on as a guest before. We've talked to some of the, the owners there, and they're a great bunch of guys. And Jimmy, you're actually... We're both running the Decker packs, yeah, and we can literally put anything we want yeah, into, into these packs. I mean, we, we go out with our, our ground blinds, our tree saddles, and everything else we might need. So we got out there and... Daughters. Daughters. daughters we'll throw a few kids in there. And we love it. They haul weight well. They're durable, American-made, and uh, an amazing company. Check them out at hillpeoplegear.com. We're avid outdoorsmen and conservationists, and it's important to us to work with brands that are both high-end and care about the world in which we live. Enter United by Blue. For those of you who don't know, United by Blue is an outdoor gear and apparel company that is dialed in on ocean and waterway conservation. We run a lot of their clothes just on the street. Jared went on a hot date with one and his wife the other day and uh, wore a few uh, United by Blue pieces. Really impressed her. Good quality product, good quality clothing. And for every purchase that you make, they remove a pound of trash out of the local waterways around you. And it gets better. When you uh, go to make a purchase, enter Hot Boga at checkout to get a uh, nifty little discount. Check them out at unitedbyblue.com. New Breed Archery! We love New Breed Archery. Uh, I've been shooting their bows for a while. A while is in a year? A while is in a year. It feels like longer. It does feel like longer. We're getting some new bows put together right now. Custom dipped. Jared, what are you going to be shooting this year? I'm going to be shooting the ETX 35. All right. And I'm going to be shooting the RK1 because I'm a true... uh, True traddy? True true trad hunter. And mine's going to be in some uh, really special custom colors, which I'm excited to announce, but I won't announce yet. Stay tuned. Head on over to New Breed. Look at their options. You might just fall in love. All right. Well, Mark, thanks for joining us. Jared and I are here, and, and we're excited to talk to you. We'd love to hear, first of all, you know, a little bit about your background and what you do. Yeah, no problem. I'll kind of, I'll, I'll keep it short on the back background until I got in the hunting industry. I'm actually right, sure. uh, fifth generation fruit tree farmer, mm-hmm. um, born and raised in Shelby, Michigan, still live here today. Growing up on the farm, yep. when I did, it was, it was a lot different than today. So I started working on the farm when I was eight, basically worked right. summers all the way through high school. And then through college, I became, uh, we also have a, a fruit production facility here in Shelby. Okay. And I became plant manager when I was a freshman in college during the summer and did that and then continued on to do schooling. And upon graduating from college, which was Grand Valley. Okay. Oh, nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right on the yeah. west side. Yep. Yep. My wife went right there. The west side of Michigan. Oh, yeah. She ran track she ran there. Across, across there. there. Yep. Yep. What year? I should probably know this. She graduated in 2000 because she graduated at the same time. She was a five-year, though. Oh, 2011. You guys are making me feel old. Scratch that. Yeah, so upon graduating from Grand Valley, I became VP of operations for all of our processing facility, which had just under 1,000 employees at the time, spread across five different plants. And I did that for the next seven years. Tough to understand. So doing that for seven years, that was basically 16 to 18 hour days, seven days a week, all year. Because we would have two to three production shifts going in a sanitation crew that all fell underneath me. Okay, so wow. in that time, it, it was, I can look back at it now and say I was 100% burned out. Just with that, it's all I knew from growing up, but I always had a passion for the outdoors. My dad has always been a strong role model in my life. And we had the conversation one day and he kind of urged me because he could see what I really wanted to do and help me transition out of our family business into the outdoor industry. Yeah. What I really had passion for in the outdoors was helping, like helping to arrange. So at that time, I'd been fortunate enough to hunt all over the U.S. and in Canada and Mexico at that time. So I, right. I had, a, I look back at now, a small knowledge base, but it was still a pretty more than most knowledge. people. More than more than most at that point, I, I had a pretty good yeah. understanding, and I loved talking about my experiences and helping other people plan trips. So I'm yeah. like, man, this would be perfect because booking agents, which Worldwide Trophy Adventures is, it's it's funny. We're not busy during the hunting season right. as much because everybody's hunting. Right. Our busy yep. our busy season really starts as everybody gets out of the field because they get out of the field and they're like, "Man, I can't wait to go on the next one. I got to start planning." We're we're extremely busy from basically November to April. Call that okay. our busy season. Just just run all the way through. So that's I'm like, sweet. "Man, that's this like the this, dream." Yeah, I'm like, "Man, this this." So when I when I first started, I'm like this will be 
perfect. I can do this and get my feet wet and I can be in the field during the fall hunting. And then yeah. I can do this and transition. And at that time, I'm like, you know what? What's the best way to advertise? Well, I'm going to do a TV show on the hunting because I'm, I'm already in the field so much. Mm-hmm. All right. I need to do is just bring a camera with me, which if I look back today was the worst possible decision you could ever, <laughs> ever, ever do when you go into the outdoor space. I've had people ask me all the time, how do I get a TV show? I'm like, I'm going to help you out right now. You do not want to do a TV show. You know, I've heard that. So the thing, here's what everybody thinks is that, okay, I travel a lot and I hunt a lot. I should do a TV show. But what it really comes down to is how are you going to pay for that? Because now all of a sudden you think you're paying for yourself to go to all these locations. Now I have to bring a uh, cameraman right. with me. So you basically have double the travel cost. Depending on where you go, you have to pay observer fees and you have all this. So then you got to go back and edit it. Then you got to go to get it on, on the network. So you're already deep in a hole here. Yeah. So now if I look, if you look at that as an individual business unit, how do I justify that? The traditional TV model is you, you have to go with partners or sponsors. Right. All these partners or sponsors get asked a hundred times a day mm. from people saying, Hey, I got I got this and I got this audience. How can I get some money? Like if you think about these people, most of them just say no instantly. Right. Unless you unless you're credible. But how long does it take to be credible in the outdoor industry? That right. a company That's will a actually question. pay attention to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like it, it's it's this game. Like everybody says, if you make like at my, when I first started, if you make it three years, you'll show that you're valid in the industry. I'm like, okay, three years. That's a basically eternity with what I at, at the time. I'm like, man, I just started in three years down the road. Right. But I had already I had already started the process. I was I was already doing it. I had already started filming. I was most of the way done through the first season slowly but surely until today you just gradually grow with the as i tell everybody if you are authentic in what you do you will gradually grow with the right partners and Mm -hmm. what do the right partners mean like everybody has a different set of what they would consider right partners that fit their brand like my brand if i look at what i do with my brand it's extremely high end so if you look at the partners that i partner with they're extremely high-end partners right just because the type of thing i do like you don't go to Tajikistan and bring a gun that can only shoot 150 yards. Right. Sure. You, right. You, you don't. Yep. You don't. You don't. You don't spend the time and money to go and do that with a bad set of binoculars or or boots that aren't mountain. Like I've got a, a solid set of brands that are very supportive in mm-hmm. what I do, and it's interesting because we can t- sort of tie in with with the experience. So, like, if I go to Tajikistan. Like 100%, you need an inReach. Yeah, Anybody right. that we then recommend, you have to bring an inReach. Like, this is the list of things that you need to bring. So, when you start talking about brands and partners that, that really make sense to go with my brand, like a Garmin, uh, Gunworks, like those ones, like I always recommend not only because they're supportive of me, right. but those are the products that I actually want to use. You would in use the them field anyways. when I'm hunting. Yeah. Like, yep. I, those are ones like I'm fortunate enough to be in a spot that I don't need to use sponsors products that i wouldn't use any other way right like i only use what i would want to use and don't get me wrong it's taken me six to almost seven years in the industry and in the tv space to get to the point that i can say that i have partners in almost every category that there could possibly be with everything that i do now but it had taken seven years to say no i don't want to go with this partner i don't want to go with this partner so I just leave those categories blank until really the one partner that I had been targeting the whole time. Right. We'd finally line up and say, you know what? I think it's time. And then yeah. we'd move forward. So that's a lot of patience. Exactly. It's a lot of patience. And you just got to you gotta have other things. But for my TV show, if I looked on the backside, whenever I would air a TV show, we would see interest on the location of the species to where I went in the office. Number right. one telltale sign, I were, I'm a little bit different because I'm actually advertising for one of my businesses. I can tell if my TV shows work or not. Yeah, if that's like a lot of people valuable are, marketing oh, dollars. It, exactly. A lot of people on TV are just advertising themselves and nothing on the back end. So now it's kind of like you go to the brands and you say, how do you value that? I can actually go to the brands and say, when we advertise this show, we got 300 calls in the office. Right. Like I, I can I can relate these things and these aren't it's not like I'm buying a nineteen dollar t shirt. We got calls on expensive hunts. So like I can tell you what my demographic is that follows me and looks for advice, which is I go back to me, which means if I have that many people follow me and looking for advice, I have to give them the correct advice. I can't just give them something because somebody's paying me on the backside for it. You know, this was how many years ago did you start doing this when you started the television show? Twenty thirteen was my first year. Okay. okay. 
But before we move on, I wanted to take a minute to thank one of our show sponsors, Pelican Coolers. These coolers are extremely tough and backed by a lifetime warranty. But what I like most about our coolers is that as tough as they are, they can be opened with the push of a button. So it'll keep the bears out, but you won't have any trouble getting in. And it gets even better. Right now, if you type in pelicancoolers.com slash hotboga, you'll get a free tumbler with the purchase of any cooler. And we all use the 32-ounce uh, tumbler, and it does an amazing job at keeping hot drinks hot for a very long time and cold drinks cold for a very long time. I'm going to do something maybe a bit unusual or something that I haven't done yet, but I'm going to throw out a James D. Guarantee, which is something I don't just toss around willy-nilly. I'm going to James D. Guarantee that if you buy one of these coolers, you'll have the best cooler experience you've ever had, and you'll be changed as a person for the better. Your life will be totally different from here on out. So don't take my word for it. Go check them out for yourself, pelicancoolers.com slash hotboga. And now, back to our show. So you, so you basically thought, you know, I've got this business where I'm going to help people find the right tags, find the right places to hunt. And I'm going to try to go about it in a unique way that most people aren't doing, which is I'm going to have a TV show. I'm going to get on Pursuit or Sportsman Channel or whatever. And then hopefully those marketing dollars will give me content, which essentially will drive my business. So this was, you're basically doing what a lot of people were doing with social media right now, mm-hmm. but you're doing Correct. it on the television. And in 2013, if you think, if you want to think about how things quick, if things have changed so quickly, 2013, there was Facebook. Right. Oh, yeah. And it, it was like this kind of new thing. Like, if you think about the outdoor industry, we're not ones to really change and go to what that world is right away. No. So slow. There, was this, there was this learning period of what is value of TV. And we're still going through it today. What's the value of TV versus what's the value of an impression in the social world? That's what the market's going to. And there's certain brands that have found niches in, in what I call social marketing. Yep. But then there's still big brands that need the value of a TV show behind it. So yeah. what you're seeing producers do now is when I partner with a company, it's not just, okay, you get a 30-second commercial and, I, and I'm going to use your stuff in the field. Right. No, you're going to get a commercial. Uh, obviously, I'm using your stuff in the field. I'm doing a ton of how-to videos, a ton of why, sneak right. peeks, all this stuff that while I'm in the field, I want to give your marketing team all the materials that they would ever possibly need exactly. from me mm-hmm. while I'm in the like, – and that, that stuff never happened before. It, if I go back to the early 2000s, it was just straight commercial, and that was it. Like there was nothing oh, that, yeah. that's going on right now. Well, and, and marketing companies at that point were paying photographers to go out and stage pictures and paying, you know, those, those shoots are 20, 20 grand plus and exactly. you're out there doing exactly. it anyways. And so you're kind of, they're, they're getting a lot more bang for their buck the way exactly. you're doing it. Yeah. What we've, what producers are starting to see in the last, and it, it's actually happened very recently in the last 12 months. So now there was, I call it the boom of social influencers over the last three years. Yeah. Well, in the, in the last 12 months now, brands that jumped on early to that social engagement, were they jumping on while the economy was going good and they got some lucky with it at the same time? Now they're actually having talk of those, the social influencers that we are partnering with, are they authentic? Right. So now we're, now we're going back. Like if you looked, everybody jumped on that quick bubble as it was rising. Now everybody's circling back going, okay, is the social influencers, yeah, they have a ton of followers. Right. But is that, are they authentic? Authentic are you followers, following, right. Yeah. Are you following that person because of what they do, or is it another reason why you're why you're following that person? It kind of goes off the engagement rate, too, on the, the individual accounts. Like, you kind of what you're mm-hmm. going off of, do you follow that person just because they followed you, or are you following exactly. them for, you like, know, do, good do like, content? Yeah, yeah, for the content. Exactly. And it, and so it's so easy to judge engagement because how I like what I ask my brands and partners to do is with me, you're not just getting social engagement. You're not just getting a TV show. You're getting you're getting a lot more. But OK, mm-hmm. let's judge. Let's judge my social following because my social following, it, it tends to age older than mm-hmm. a lot of the social influencers. Yep. And they're not people that are normally on social media. They're just on there for a select few. Mm. Like how, how I test is, okay, let me post and let's see what sales drive from it. 
And yeah. I've had pretty good success when I do that. And I, I like, I don't like to post sales or things like that. I just like to post about a product. Like right. this is a really good product. Yeah. I've been seeing your stories. You've been posting about like, I forgot what it was. I think there was even one today, different products that you use. And it's actually kind of mm-hmm. helpful. We've watched a bunch of them. Yeah. And, and like with that, like, I don't like to be the guy that always says, okay, buy this because it's on sale. No, right, I like right. to be the guy that if you're looking for the best, this is, this is the best. Or if you're going to, I normally never would carry a handgun with me in the field because I never had a reason to right because i would usually always have a rifle or a muzzle loader or i'm bow hunting and when i'm bow hunting something dangerous usually there's a guy there with me with a rifle right well this fall i'm going ptarmigan hunting in alaska i'm gonna have a shotgun but where we're hunting at there's a high density of grizzly bears and i've got my dogs there right. and i'm like okay i don't want to be the dude that's sitting there with seven and a half lead while a grizzly bear's there <laughs> so i'm actually going to carry a hand right yeah. so i went through did all the research on what is then and so it's not a pretty, it's not a black gun. It doesn't have a clip on it. I wanted a handgun that if there was a grizzly bear that was coming at me, it had the knockdown power. What'd you end up getting? A Ruger 44 okay. mag. I mean, yep. it is. It, Perfect. It, I mean, that's what I need for that. I'm not, you're not going to see me as a everyday carry with that thing, but that's the gun that if I have a bear coming at me, I want something with knockdown power. Yep, or if something's messing with my dog, I want it to be there. That's right. a perfect gun for that situation. I mean, yeah. I, some people argue otherwise, but you know what? That's more than enough power. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a believer in always having more than enough power than mm-hmm. not enough yep. power. Yeah. Two yeah. is one and one is none. That's why I always tell James. Exactly. Do you? <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I'll back up a little bit. So as, as I started in, I had the TV show and the booking agency side, there was a small book at the time, a small boutique booking agency out of St. George, Utah. And that's what Worldwide Trophy Adventure was. Okay. So I partnered with the founders of that. I took a lot of, I can say this now, I took a lot of what Cabela's Outdoor Adventure and Cabela's Tags was doing at the time, and we implemented it at WTA. So we started floating tag fees, just like Cabela's Tags had done. And I I knew about that because I was a tags client for six years before. So I had a ton of experience in understanding how the floats work. So we implemented that in. We did a lot of the, did a lot of the standards that Cabela's Outdoor Adventure had, and we took those and we started to implement those into WTA. And before I joined, I mean, it was extremely small, couple hundred clients a year that would come through, and we started to see some pretty big growth. What I wasn't expecting is that nine months after I partnered with the small boutique WTA, is that Cabela's Outdoor Adventure and Tag Service would become for sale. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, so they, they as they were prepping for, obviously, the big sale, there were some smaller divisions that they looked to offload, which was where I was, I still remember this, because I was in Saskatchewan, I was looking at the first outfitting business that I was going to purchase yep. and buy. And I was up there fall black bear hunting with my dad. And I remember sitting in the tree stand with Grant, my cameraman, who still films for me today. I spend more time with that guy than anybody. <laughs> and I get a text from, I'm not going to mention who it was, but somebody that still now works for me based out of Sydney. And he goes, Tommy Milner just walked in and he announced that we're going to be for sale just to let you know. And I'm like, oh my goodness. I'm sitting in this tree stand. I'm like, I got to get down. I got to talk to dad. He's sitting somewhere with no signal. Well, dad right. ends up shooting shooting an awesome chocolate bear that night. So he gets back and we're, we're back at the lodge. And I'm like, dad, like, look at this. He's like, you got to get home tomorrow and you got to go to work 100% on it. Yeah. Like they're the lead, they're the leader in the industry. It can be you or it can be somebody else that takes that over. From the time that I got there and made the initial call, it was three months from the time we started until we closed. Wow. wow. That's moving. Yeah, that was it was moving quick, especially on a, on a deal like that and a company like Cabela's. Right. Did you sleep it, at all? It makes it, hardly any. I haven't slept since, actually. <laughs> what, what, what is really cool is when you find out the background on it. Like, I, I knew others that I was competing with in the industry, giants in hospitality, other ones that at the time were strategic figures or had larger companies or influences in the out outdoor base yep when it came down they said that they were going through all this they only brought one company into sydney to me and that was me so they they had done all the background research and said you know what because it's still going to have our name associated with it moving in the future it's still associated to the cabela's family right who do we want to run this moving forward that that part means a lot to me once i once i found that out and that wasn't until a couple years ago that i was the only one that actually came in for that that's a huge deal. Um, it's, yeah, that was a huge deal. Since then, I mean, it's been a nobody's been my biggest critic or my biggest fan than the people based out of Sydney when it when it was Cabela's and now it's Bass Pro. Right. Mm-hmm. They expect more out of me than others, which I expect more out of myself than others as right. well. But a, but a good partner would. 
Yeah, and they're also the first one there to say thank you and to congratulate me when when we have successes, both right. in the field and at work. That that that's a true partnership. I've been fortunate enough to hunt with Dan Cabela and Mary Cabela. It's just that that whole thing since since we closed on that's been amazing. So anyway, we closed. I'm trying to remember years here. That would have been going on four years ago. I want to okay. say that we closed on that. Now, yeah. since then, WTA, if you look at that, I own 10 outfitters spread between Canada, North America, and Mexico. I'm a workout supplement company, Ready Nutrients, which is solely based on outdoor supplements. And, and I like to say this in a nice way. We're not selling t-shirts. We're selling stuff that'll actually help people in the field. With that, I also partnered with Chris and Casey Kiefer and Jason Brown. Ah, uh, yeah. We're having them on in a little few weeks. Ah, cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they're... Those guys live on the opposite side of the state in Midland. I've been partners with them for right before we closed on the Cabela's deal. So that's, man, time flies. That's been a while. <laughs> so when you get those guys on, though, like if Chris and Casey are what I tell everybody, are probably the best host in all of outdoor TV. And they're better than outdoor TV. They're meant for a mainstream TV show. Oh, yeah. Those guys, can, mm. those guys can walk into any room and they'll instantly attract every eyeball in there. And yep. they can roll with anything. Well, it's the big beards, you know that, that doesn't hurt. It's the red beard. Uh, they Look have, and you know, they have that show. What's the new show that they have uh, that just came out? Code of the Wild. Code of the Wild. Mm-hmm. That's more mainstream, right? Yeah, that's Travel Channel. Yeah, and, and get this. They actually found treasure at one of the spots. They have a yeah. treasure show, and they actually found treasure. <laughs> what I'm heck? like, what? Are you guys kidding me? You guys actually found something? <laughs> that's a new line yeah, of work right there. Yeah. So anyway, so when I go to trade shows, we have a pretty big group that goes together, but most of the rooms I walk in, I'm with Chris and Casey. So nobody ever pays attention to me because I'm like the the fourth guy in the back, and you walk into those guys, and they just grab a room like that. Right. But no, if I look at... WTA, we continue to grow both on the outfitter front, and I like to say it's strategic outfitters. So we're pretty close on closing on one south of the border, and it's where one particular species is hunted, and it's the only spot to where that species is hunted. We will control the conservation story behind that. That's incredible. For good or bad. That's the type of things that... No pressure. Yeah, there's a lot of weight on your shoulders with that one. I, here's here's how it is, though. I would rather control it because I'm not forced to make decisions for financial means behind that species. Mm, right. We're big enough now that, okay, we can make things to make sure that this conservation success story with hunting is done correctly and they're not corners cut. Right. Same thing. We closed on an area in the Yukon. So this is our first season operating for bell sheep, grizzly bear, moose, and mountain caribou in the Yukon. The reason we did that is there's only a handful of sheep areas in the in, in right. North America. If you look right. at it, in the world, there's only a handful. In the Yukon, there's less than 20. So if you look at Yukon, Alaska, BC for stones, yep. Alberta for bighorns, uh, Northwest Territories for dull. They're less than basically 100 outfitters for dull sheep. We have one, and the area that we have, not being biased at all, probably top five areas that there are. Just sure. So you're controlling, I mean, at the very minimum, you're controlling at least 1% of, of everything. And then, like Correct. you said, if it's more pot, if it's a better spot, it's, you know, that, that percentage actually goes up a little bit. Correct. But what we do is we can tell, so sheep is one of those, it's a very finicky species. Like, there are a lot of things that can affect the population of sheep. A bad winter, all of a sudden you lose 50% of your sheep. Right. Down in the, down in the lower 48, they get ammonia and it can wipe out sheep herds in states. Like right. you've seen that in North Dakota. Like yes. they, they've struggled with that. Well, again, we, we back that because it's a big area. We want to control the conservation story behind it. Here's yep. the ironic thing. In our area in the Yukon, we book it. We also book for our neighbor on both sides at WTA. So if there's a, if there's a hunter that calls us and they're better fit to go – um, so we're we're straight horses. We don't use UTVs no, in our okay. area. Yep. I like if it. somebody if somebody calls and and they can't ride a horse or they can't do a backpack, you know what? We're gonna book them in somewhere that fits what they do. Right. So yep. it may be booking them in with our neighbor, or it may be booking in with one of the the great outfitters we use in the Northwest Territories. Part of the reason why we've been so se- successful and grown is we try not to step on anybody's toes and partner with the great ones, as we say. Yeah. yeah. So they're great outfitters, they're okay outfitters, and then there's just some really bad outfitters. We choose to partner with the really great outfitters. So so I got a question about that. I've been part of uh, new businesses in the past and, and still work at one. When you were 
early on, you know, it feels like you, you feel like you have to take everybody, any client you can possibly have, any money making, mm-hmm. you know, w- at what point did you, were you turning people away? Was that at the very beginning if they, if they weren't a good outfitter or, or did you have to kind of grow into that? I was very fortunate. So when we were at the, I go back, when we were at the small boutique WTA, yep. the really great outfitters looked at us and went, you know what, you're not big enough for us to have to hassle with. Right. Um, you just don't have you just don't have the size or the backing. So what we would do at that at that time is we would take an outfitter and say, OK, he's not not a great outfitter, but he's a good outfit. How do we mold this person in? So three to four years from now, he's going to be a great outfitter. So we worked with the outfitters to get him there. And we still do that process today. Yeah. There's certain areas that just are overlooked by the general masses. So we're always looking for what's the next hidden elk gem. Sure. Okay, well, if we find the area that's got some really some really good elk hunting, and the outfitter in there is great, that's awesome. But yeah. if the outfitter is really good, okay, how do we get them to great? To if great. the outfitters, ah, eh, what do we got to do to work around that? Now, when you say great outfitter, you know, are, are you talking obviously, you know, field skills or woodsmanship skills? Or are you talking like business? No, some of the best outfitters we have, they don't handle their own books. Like that, they, they just sure. can't. And there's certain outfitters you're like, I don't really want somebody that's good at accounting. I would rather have right. somebody that can get me a big moose. Like that's 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 exactly. your skill. Like in life, everybody has their skill. Outfitters have their skill. When I talk about a great outfitter, it's somebody that truly understands that they can can control what they can control. What does that mean? I can control the area we hunt. I can control the guides that are in the field. I can control the equipment and I can control that. But what I can't control is weather. Right. So if somebody has a bad hunt and you look at it and go, okay, you were elk hunting and it's 108 degrees. Right. They weren't bugling. What a great outfitter does is you go, you know what? It was bad weather. I appreciated you coming. What can we do to work to get you back in a future year? Right. There, that's a great outfitter. Yeah. But that's some business skill right there too. I mean, that's just client management. It was very tricky early on if we, if we talked about this at all. Because our clients recognized it. And we finally made the decision about six to eight months ago. You, go, you know what? We're going to actually talk about what the difference is if you book with Worldwide Trophy Adventures for tags or for our OA, which is our hunt booking site. Yep. What's the difference when you book with WTA versus if I'm an average hunter going to a show or mm-hmm. calling somebody up online or on a phone number and booking? If I'm the one individual that goes and books a hunt, to that outfitter, you're that one individual that came and booked a hunt. Yeah. So if something if something happens, is it worth me to make it right to you, or do I just look at you and go, "You were one hunter, okay? There are other right. people that want to come with me. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but I'm not really sorry." Right. With WT with WTA and the outfitters we work with, when we send people to an outfitter, we make up large percentages of the hunters that they take a year. If you look at a WTA client coming into camp, it's not an individual. It could be we could send 25 clients to that person a year. So that WTA client now comes into camp as one of 25. That may be 40% of what that outfitter books for the year. Right. So that outfitter bends over backwards to make sure that WTA clients are taken care of. Right. So they get a good report back and you keep referring people their way. Exactly. So it's a win-win. Like you, mm-hmm. you book you book with us at WTA. Like if I'm a client and I book with WTA, you have us. We've already done all the research. We yeah. work with the outfitters hand in hand all the time. Unfortunately, it's hunting. You're, you're out in the wild. You can't control what animals do. There are incidents that come up. Like horseback hunts, you're dealing with horses. Right. Or airplane floats. Like you're when you're dealing with elements like this, there's certain things that pop up like yeah, you always wish that the charter service that the outfitter uses is always on time and their equipment always works. But you know what? Right. When hunting season happens, something happens and the plane's down for three days and the hunter's stranded somewhere. Right. So these are things that, that having WTA, we handle working with that when things come up, basically. Yep. Let's pause here and cut to another First Steps with First Light. This week, we've got Kevin Harlander on, community manager at First Light. He's going to talk us through e-scouting. So lots of our listeners are starting to travel out of state, and we get tons of questions uh, about how to approach uh, digital scouting. How do you use technology in your off-season scouting? That's another great question. I I think I start, you know, mostly in my brain, I'm starting after the tags come out. I usually do a lot of applications prep uh, using 
Go Hunt and, and some of Onyx. But I think it's beneficial once you know what tags you're gonna have to really deep dive, especially if you're not gonna be in the in the zone. For instance, I have a Colorado deer tag this year. I mean, obviously I live in Idaho, so I'm not gonna be able to make it over to Colorado before that, that season. So one thing I do is that really helps me is to use different layers in Onyx that allow me to understand that, you know, maybe one mile in certain country is a long way due to terrain, et cetera. And I, I think what's interesting there is you can understand via topography what that lay of the land actually looks like. So first I'm, I'm trying to find and investigate the entire unit if I can. If I'm going to a new area and I don't have any plans to be in that place before the season, I tend to try to identify like an A, B, C, and D spot and just go for it uh, once I get there. If you're backing up a little bit, I tend to look at each spot and try to have a plan for each of those spots. And I, I keep those notes on me just to remember to go after it. I like to identify certain water sources, especially on a backpack hunt for use of uh, refilling my camel back and also, um, you know, looking at where animals might be locating. If I'm elk hunting, I'm looking for dark timbered norths with, with feeding areas. And honestly, the best thing to do, I think, is to try to get some local intel, whether it's from the fishing game department, there's some hunting forums that guys are, are willing to discuss. It's, it's important to be respectful about those spots too and not try to blow up somebody's perfect spot. We have a great blog right now on firstlight.com. Um, Marcus, one of our dudes from customer service, wrote a great piece on e-scouting. So check that out if you get a chance. Perfect, Kevin, thanks again. We'll talk to you soon. Describe how kind of the business model works. You're, you're making these referrals and, and people will come to you and actually help, you'll help them for free, correct? And then you'll get some of the proceeds, the, basically what they pay the, the guide. Yeah. So what happens is we're, we're different than the majority of booking agents. And I, and I don't like the word, I truthfully don't like the word booking agent because it just sounds dirty to me. It's like, yeah, right. use, <laughs> it's like, it's like used car salesman. Awesome. Yeah. I know exactly. you're going to try to You got a plaid suit coat, you know, yellow, uh, yeah, button up. Uh, yep. I'm, I'm trying to sell you a brown Pontiac over here. Like, this is what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. So, like, where the word consultant probably fits us more. Sure. So, we're we're different than than 98% of booking agencies out there. Where we do 100% of everything, a lot of booking agencies say, you know what? You want to go on a deer hunt? Perfect. Talk to this guy in Kansas right here. He's going to take care of you. That, yep. That's what that booking agent did. He's getting money on the backside for the referral. Now, you call us. We're going to actually listen to what you are looking for, expectations, budget that you have, your physical abilities, and your hunting experience. All those go into what we're going to recommend for you. What sure. type of hunt? If you're okay, if you're going to go elk hunting, the first question: rifle, bow, uh -oh. muzzle loader. Yep. Do you have a preference in state? Mm -hmm. Do you have a preference in style? Do you want a lodge? Would you like a vehicle-based hunt? Would you yep. like a backpack hunt? And and we start limiting this down. So we have about 500 outfitters that we work with around the world. Wow. of which about 220 are elk outfitters. When you come to us and say, I want to go on an elk hunt, we're like, huh, okay, let's start wheeling this down <laughs> a little bit. Let's reel this back a little. Let, yeah. let, let's see what you want to get into. So if you think about it, though, do you want to go on a cow elk hunt or do you want to go on a elk hunt that produces 400-inch bulls in California, but it costs 40 grand? Exactly. Is We have both sides of the spectrum. Thule, Roosevelt, through, Rocky Mountain. Yeah. Yep. And then through our tag service, do you want a chance at a 360 to 380 bull, but it could take you 10 years to draw that tag? But when you draw that tag, the hunt's going to be 7,900 bucks versus if you try to go and buy an, a hunt with right. a landowner tag. Yeah, if you try to go buy a landowner tag in that same area, it's 38 grand for the landowner tag, plus you got to pay the outfit. Right. Or you can come and, and you play the lottery system. That's that's why our tags portfolio. And with our tags, we're the only company that floats tag fees. Okay. So what does that mean? Yeah. If I apply in a Western state, most of them have floats. So if I apply for a sheep, it's 2,800 bucks. If I apply for a gyrus moose, it's 1,800 bucks. If I apply for a mountain goat, it's 1,800 bucks. Yeah. You have to take this cost out of your pocket and give it to the state. Now, here's the beauty. The states don't actually tell you an exact date when they're going to give it back to you. Uh -huh. There's a range that's been in the past when they give it back to you. Now, if you're if you're aggressive in the tag service, which is one of the best ways to get into trophy areas is if you apply in the most amount of states that's possible. Like if you want to draw a sheep tag, you basically have to apply in almost every state that sure. you should. Just spread your odds. Depending on how aggressive. Like if somebody's like, oh, I want to go 100% all in. All right, right, we're applying in all the states. Somebody's like, you know, I want to get as aggressive as I want, but 
don't give me the couple of states that I really don't have a chance at. Okay, we're taking right. Texas and we're taking California. You'll play right. the rest. Yep. But what we do at WTA is you you pay us a fee for our service, which everybody else charges, and then we pay you a small percentage and we actually float your money for you. So instead of having mm-hmm. a, if I apply for all the sheep, mountain goats, moose, trophy units for antelope, trophy units for elk, if I apply for all that, it's like 35 grand Sure. by the time somebody's done in the Western states that yep. they're floating out. If you do, if you apply with us, we float that for you. You don't have to come out of pocket 35 grand. Oh, that's huge. You only pay when you draw a tag. If you think about a sheep tag, like Wyoming's at 24 points, 25 points. You're applying 24 to 25 years for those sheep tags. Yeah. And you don't have to come out out of pocket with that money every year. You just let us float it. Now for us, that takes a giant financial backing to do it. There's a reason that no other company does that is because you have to have a huge financial backing and that money in the bank. We to handle have, it. We, yeah. Yeah. We have that. And we work with some great banking institutes here in Michigan, actually, okay. that allow us to do that because you know what? It wasn't easy the first couple of years when I would go in there and try to explain that, Ooh, we're going to have millions of dollars that are going to, we're going to pay out, but guess what? The States are going to pay us back. And yep. the banks would look at you and go, I don't think it works like that, actually, because we've never, never done that. So it took, <laughs> it took years to I get the right relationship. Mm-hmm. The convincing that that would take. It, t- it took a lot of convincing. It took time to explain it. But now we just have that step up above everybody. Right. Now, if you look at booking a hunt through us, that, that's tag. So if you look at booking a hunt through WTA, we're not an agency that, or we're not a booking agent that's going to say, um, Jim calls and say, hey, I'm looking for a whitetail hunt. He's going and the agent goes, perfect. Call Bob over here in Kansas. He's got a really good area. Yeah. That's what a booking agent does. Consultant, somebody calls and says, I'm yeah. looking for a whitetail hunt. We're going to actually listen to everything that you want. What type right. of experience do you want? What's your budget? What's mm-hmm. a realistic type of deer size? Like, And truthfully speaking, most people are very realistic on size. We occasionally get some guys who are like, okay, I got 2,500 bucks. I want to shoot a 200-inch whitetail. I'm like, <laughs> Not- You know what? So does every other hunter. Mm-hmm. That's what yeah. every other hunter has that. Like yeah, I can right. put you, I can, I can break it down for 2,500 bucks. These are the types of hunts. But when you pay, you pay us. You don't pay the outfitter. We handle all the paper. We handle all the credit card transaction. The outfitter doesn't have to do that. We handle all the communication back and forth. We handle getting your insurance set up. We handle all that back end. We handle that in our office. We don't have one or two people. We have 30. We have okay. an office in Sydney with, with 30 people. We've got a CRM system that nobody else in the outdoor industry in our in our service has oh, that's so huge. all this to make sure that we don't miss steps along the way you don't miss applying for a license after you book a hunt you don't miss getting your charter service lined up ahead of time you don't do that because we're here to support you along the way right. if you have questions about gear you call us we help you out if you have questions and it's funny as guys lead up to a hunt 18 months out nobody's got any questions at all 12 <laughs> months course. out they're start they're starting to feel it Ooh, what kind of shape do i need to be in like that's the, that's the, that's the 12 month bug do I need to get into it? What do I need to do over the next year? Four weeks before the hunt? There are lots of questions that come up four weeks before the hunt. Right. What kind of boots do I need? What, kind, what kind of rain gear? And at this one, you're like, ooh, what kind of boots? Yee, I would like you to have yeah. those broken in by yeah, now. Yeah, you got to put some miles, some serious yeah. miles in the but, next four weeks. <laughs> but we, we get all that sort of, sort of stuff. And the beauty is our repeat clients that come through us is huge. That's the majority. That's the majority. Once you come to us... Our goal is that you you use our service and go, that was the best possible experience I could yeah. ever have. Those guys were with me 100% of the time. Or heaven forbid something happened on the hunt that wasn't as expected. Which is possible. Which happens, which happens. Yeah. So you're when you go on outfitted hunts, you have guides in the field. Guides are human people. Right. There, we've had ones to where guides have gotten divorced right before they go into the field. You know what? Oh that guy's not on top of his game. He's well, emotionally we compromised. That. Yeah. So when the guy, the, we've laugh. had some to where it's like, you could tell he wasn't there, but we just got lucky. And there was 180 inch mule deer the first day. <laughs> right. All right. Well, that, for some, they're like, I couldn't get the guy to get out of his truck. Okay. That's not right. Right. We're going to go to the outfitter and make that right for the client. Yeah. Like there, uh, there are thousands of different scenarios in the outfitting industry of what could go wrong, what could happen, we're there to support in all those. Well, that's huge for the outfitter because, I mean, if you're handling all those things, you've got your CRM, you're you're helping these people Mm -hmm. in a consultative role. By the time they get to the outfitter, they're just ready to hunt. And and that's you're like their salesperson, really. And and a lot, and like, if you think about 
Western outfitters. They're outfitters. Most of them, some of them ranch at the same time. Like they're, they're doing a lot of things. Yeah. And before the season, those guys are in the field for two months before the, before the hunting season right. even starts mm-hmm. blinds, doing food plots, scouting, like all this stuff. And if they've got a hundred clients coming, they can't have a hundred clients calling them four times, which yeah. is four to six times is like the average a client calls beforehand. Think about that. That outfitter now has a thousand calls for season going over the same exact stuff, making sure that that person would apply to get it, to get his license on time, make sure he has the right license. That's where outfitters that work really good with us, they understand our benefit. And they're like, you know what? You guys saved me a ton of time and headache. Like you guys don't, you guys don't have mistakes. It's awesome. Right. Guys show up, they're ready to roll. It's worth it for them. And a big mm-hmm. part when we try to match, especially on more physical type hunts, what is the hunter's capability? Yeah. Like if you're going to climb the tallest mountain, is this guy actually able to climb the tallest mountain? Right. Or there's just a lot of variables in there and we try to mix and match. Not all sheep areas are the same. Right. Some, if, if somebody has a physical disability or something like that, we can put them in the right area versus if that same guy would walk the show floor in the first place he stops at, that guy is always selling and he's going to go, yep, I got a hunt for you, even though he's in the roughest, toughest area you could <laughs> right. possibly be and it's the worst possible hunt. But guess what? He just made a sale. That, that's where you get to use our network and our experience to mix and match and get the perfect one for, for whatever you're looking for. How are you going about finding these people? I know you mentioned your, your television show. Yeah, so our, our client base, we work hand-in-hand with a lot of our partners being Cabela's and Bass Pro. So we're tied in. If you have a Cabela's Bass Pro credit card, we act just like a Cabela's and Bass Pro store. So if you're a black card member, you shop with us, you get 5% back in points. Oh, cool. If you have points on your credit card, you can use them with us like we're a store. So if, okay. if you've sure. been saved, like a lot of guys will save and have 5,000 or 6,000 points on their card because they've just been saving and using that. Right. You can use that and book a hunt with us. We have we have a handful of guys that use their credit card for all of their business expenses. They own small businesses. They use all that. And they go on one to two trips a year just using points. Oh, wow. Like that's the <laughs> benefit of there's no other credit card on planet Earth that does what Cabela's and Bass Pro credit card does yeah like, oh, that's the infrastructure for, that they have yeah. right yeah it's it's for outdoor enthusiasts we also work hand in hand with the credit card company i mean that's that's the beauty of it i mean that back and forth on clients is very important obviously if you're a cabela's bass pro credit card member you're extremely important yeah. when you come to us through that it's tv shows our biggest probably growth factor not only at wta but the outfitters that we individually own as well is word of mouth just number number one thing if if you're in if you're in a hunting camp you're there say you're turkey hunting there are eight other guys in hunting camp you're sitting there and you're telling stories back and forth everybody instantly goes to the best experience that they had and they work down the list you always start with the best and then you work down the list somewhere along the line you're going to mention the worst but when you mention the best everybody's always attentive sure so if i'm if i'm trying to go after my grand slam of turkeys how did you get your grand slam of turkeys who did you go with yeah who helped you along the way or if you're working towards your sheep slam who helped you along the way like sheep are extremely expensive exactly and if you're going to spend that much money you're just going to go with the best right you're not really bargain shopping at that point yeah, I, I want to get all four sheep, but I only want to go on four hunts. I don't want to go after a bighorn six times. Right. I only want to go four times. So who's the best to go with? And is it something that I should just be in? So we have cancellations that pop up all the time. Yeah. We have guys looking for their sheep slam that say, hey, if you get a cancellation bighorn, seems to be one of the last ones that are left for everybody on their, on their slam. If you yeah. get a cancellation bighorn, I can drop whatever I have going and I can leave tomorrow. So oh, I go cool. back. Um, the hurricane that hit in Texas a couple of years ago. We had two guys that were flying out of Houston the next day to go to Alberta bighorn hunting. All the airports in that area were closed <laughs> down. They couldn't get out of town, had to cancel. Called Travis in the office. We're like, we can't, like, we tried everything. We can't get out. Guess what? We, we had guys on the cancellation list. The first two people that Travis called had said yes and were booking their flights to take off in less than 24 hours. Oh, wow. They were going on a sheep hunt. Props to those guys. When they woke up in the morning, they had no idea. The next day, they were taken off to Albert. Yeah, that's a, that does not sound bad. That's a great surprise. Here's what it was, though. The the hunts normally cost 42000 right. So we worked with the guys in Houston. Knowing it's last minute, what would you guys be? What can we try to recoup for you? And they're like, man, it's less than 24 hours. Can you get anything? And we're like, I'm pretty sure we can. So he right. said, man, if you could get if you could get a fourth back for us, that would be amazing. Wow. So we sold so the them guys for $10,000. Yeah, that's a bargain Yeah, hunt. so that, that's why the guy's like, you know what? I can go tomorrow, and he's probably looking at his wife across the room going, <laughs> hey, book, book me on it. And then he hangs up the phone, and he's like, hey, babe, 
going to Alberta tomorrow. Hey, hey um, I'm going to go get you some flowers. I might not a minute. be here tomorrow. <laughs> right. No, that's that's incredible. That though, and that's yeah. you know most places that's going to be your best way of getting and keeping customers, it's just keeping people happy. The hunting industry is very small. It's right. big at the same time, but it's small. You have to take care of your customers because it spreads quickly. Like I, I you can list companies that have gone in the past that haven't taken care of their customers they don't last very long in our industry now you mentioned sydney are, are there people in michigan and there or is it just there or how, how do you break that up worldwide trophy adventures headquarters is in sydney nebraska yep and that's where we have 30 30 people rusted roosters based out of midland roughly 25 mm-hmm. employees out of there we hadn't talked about Huntwise yet, but I know you guys did a podcast with those guys a oh, couple yeah. weeks mm-hmm. ago. That's yep. partner with those guys as well. They're based out of Grand Rapids. Yeah. So uh, the outfitting, this is where it gets a little crazy. So we've got outfitting in Yukon, Saskatchewan, Mexico, in different states in the U.S. So we, uh, I was looking at it the other day. We have WTA, if you look at the family. Yeah. We have employees in, it was like 24 states, four Canadian provinces, and two parts of Mexico. Wow. When you wow. break it down. Is it mostly um, like sales um, and stuff or, or what are these people doing? No, outfitters, outfitters, guides, sales, marketing, design, yeah. editors. I'm also partnered with the Wildlife Gallery based out of oh, Mount cool. Pleasant here in Michigan, largest taxidermy and tannery studio. Yep. I joined Brad and Dan and those guys. Ooh, that would have been four or five years ago. They had been doing my work for a long time and, and they had a, a shareholder that was that was looking to retire and it was perfect for me to, to slide in because again, here's the benefit if you look at everything as you put it together. Worldwide Trophy Adventures, we have all these clients that are going through the field. How do we take that same customer service and saying, guess what? We gave you the best in working with that. We want to take that same and apply it. If you're going to have your stuff mounted, bring it to the Wildlife Gallery because guess what? WTA clients at the Wildlife Gallery aren't just normal clients. We're going to take care of you. We, we right, because you're connected. Yeah. We, we, work, we work with those guys hand in hand. We work with a lot of camps that the Wildlife Gallery just does pickups in certain certain depots. Like Alaska, up until the Wildlife Gallery put a, a depot in Alaska, the service for guys that would have things shipped out of Alaska was truthfully awful. Oh, I'm like sure. Like a lot of people yep. lost their hide. So you've gone on a sheep hunt. You not only spent X amount of money, you spent 12 days on the hill. Yeah. And now I'm, I'm going to ship my stuff home and all of a sudden it spoils. Are you kidding me? Oh, man. So the Wildlife Gallery saw this and they put a depot in Anchorage and it is streamlined. The guy meets you when you get off your bush plane to get your bear hide, your sheep or whatever, tags it and takes it. So yeah. now hunters like the, it was the big shuffle. So I shot you shoot a giant bear in the spring. I've, I've got a 140 pound hide. I'm taking <laughs> right. this from the airport to the hotel. Yeah. What am I going to do with it from there? No, the guy actually meets you as you get off the bush plane and grabs your hide. You don't even have to worry about it. Yeah. It's going to get shipped off and panned. You want it in Michigan? Where do you, where do you want it? Right. I mean, that's that it's kind of hands off. Let us take care of everything. You just enjoy yourself. Exactly. Well, and that what you're doing too is you're just making everything more enjoyable for the person because you know all exactly. these things that you're having to worry about and figure out and flying and transport and tags. I mean, you go to you guys, you you, you kind of are taken care of from you know point A to point Z, pretty much. Yeah, it's, it's by the time you tie all the company all the companies in is just around 200 employees that we have in yeah. the outdoor industry. Once you, once you tie everything, it's pretty, pretty diverse team. You could say. Yeah. And you're managing, you're not really managing all these people. You're big, bigger picture stuff. I would imagine at this point. Yeah. So I'm very fortunate to have a strong team, both in Sydney. I mean, if I, if I break down each of the outfitters that we have, yep. what does a good outfitter really need from a base? It's the head outfitter. Like if you have the guy that's mm-hmm. in the field and, and, cares about each client like it's himself or his family in the field we yeah. have that with each of our destinations at the studio i mean the keepers and jason brown they they do the day-to-day stuff over there yeah. um each of them have their own talent jason's probably the best actual producer i've ever met i mean okay. that, that dude's amazing when he gets in an edit bay his his visionary like you can sit down and we'll be in a meeting talking with a company that we're going to do the marketing work for and i'm, I'm listening and i i look at it different i look at it from a business ownership perspective how do right. you profit and so forth and Jason will sit there and he'll listen to this. And all of a sudden, mid-meeting, he'll come up with like this pitch idea. And you're just like, oh, my gosh, that's right. amazing. Yeah. How did you get that? We were talking about a bow. Right, How did right. you come up with this grand marketing idea? <laughs> He's yeah. just so got a different everybody, everybody, has, you know, everybody has their own niche. Yeah, that's interesting. So you have, you've got a strong team. You've got a great service. You guys are growing like crazy and working with some amazing people all over the world. You've got 20, you know, 2019, I guess, coming. You, you mentioned that this is kind of your slower uh, time until November. 
you got any big hunts in the future? I know we were trying to work around one earlier. Was it a caribou yeah. hunt? Yeah. So this fall I, I've switched up. So I, I, I'm starting a third TV show that I'll host as well. So wow. my, my two original TV shows were expedition series, which is yep. kind of international or high intensity based. So it'd be international hunts or like a sheep hunt or something like that. That's, that's a little bit higher intensity. And then this past year I uh, started triple threat which yep. I'm trying to go after the North America 29 three times with three different weapons. Being yeah. A bow, We've been following a that. And, a yep, yep. and what, and what this is, is it's, there are two things behind triple threat and it's, it's extremely fun to talk about this one. Everybody's like, well, you just want to go and do it to prove that you can do it. No, no, no. What I'm doing is I'm taking it a splintered hunting market yeah. and trying to prove that a hunter is a hunter. Exactly. A hunter is not, it's not a yep. bow hunter. It's not a rifle hunter. It's not a long range hunter. It's not a muzzleloader hunter. It's not a whitetail hunter. It's not an elk hunter. It's not, not a, a Western hunter, hunter versus an Eastern. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's not somebody that, okay, I, I use bait. Oh, you can't use bait. No, right. no, no, no. You don't understand. The hunting industry is small and getting smaller every year. We can't be splintered off into no, all these can't different fraction. groups. You yep. have, you, no, you, you have to, like, if we want to be here 30, 40, 50, 60, 100 years from now, no, we have to work together as hunters yep. like we used to do before you got all these different different fractions off. And now what, it, and with each species, it faces their own challenges moving forward like whitetail obviously don't face as many challenges as other species but they're cwd so there are there there are things that whitetails actually you can get into an area where the population of whitetail is actually too high sheep like we mentioned earlier sheep in the lower 48 ammonia can go in and can wipe them out in a whole state mule deer are the lesser aggressor when when mixed with whitetail so mule deer keep shrinking as whitetail keep expanding like you can break down the story of each of these species tule elk their area in california where they are is literally shrinking because more houses are going in. Hunting is not the issue. Hunting is not the issue behind that. Hunting is what is literally saving that species because there's investment to keep ground there undeveloped. Yeah. Like that is literally it. Okay. If there was no hunting dollar, those elk would be gone in no time and there would be houses everywhere. Yeah. And you know, it's funny you say that, especially in our area, we've been seeing signs everywhere, you know, paid for you by paid for by your hunting dollars. And it's like talks mm-hmm. about some duck or, or deer or whatever on there. So that that's the whole, the whole model behind triple threat using the knowledge of WTA. If I'm going archery hunting for say a Rocky mountain, I'm going to go here because this is the highest chance of success. Yeah. If I'm going rifle hunting, I'm going to go here because I can get a little bit bigger bull because I'm using a rifle. Right. If I'm going muzzleloader, I'm going to go here in an early season. That's only muzzleloader. Like you get to use yep. the three different weapons and show three different areas that you, that you could do it. I'm smart about which is going to yield, you know, the more. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly. I tell everybody I'm not a great hunter. I'm just a hunter. There are thousands of bow hunters that are better than me. I can't go into the field and say, you know what? I'm going to make a 125 yard shot. No, I need, to, I need the <laughs> highest success that you can put me in front of. Exactly. Like that's, yes. that's, when you follow me, look, because I'm going to the highest success, highest density areas that I go. Right. Because I know it's going to be a good hunt. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, and that's, that's kind of, that's our mantra too. You know, Jared and I, I'm definitely not the best shot. Definitely not the best hunter. So any uh, any ways to stack odds in my favor uh, is is definitely welcome. Exactly. So the third show that I, that I'm doing is a is a show only about bird hunting. Wow. The Bird Hunter's Diary. I saw and you mentioned that on wow. Instagram. Yep. How and how we're kicking this off is, is you guys have learned anything over the last 45 minutes here. Is I like to do things that have never been done before. I grew up hunting with my dad, and it was grouse and and woodcock hunting here in Michigan. Like around where I live in, in, in Michigan, there used to be a ton of grouse. Yeah. And the woodcock flight would come down, and it was just amazing. Like the woodcock flight would come down, and it was 10 days. Amazing. Go out, shoot your limit in literally six minutes, and go and shoot your limit of grouse over the next couple hours. Yeah. Wow. As you guys know now, the grouse. There's not very many. No, if you see one, you're doing good here. Yep. They're just in that, in that low cycle. Now, I hope they pop back up, but each time they pop back up, they never pop up as high as they used to be. And if you think about a grouse, it's different. A grouse needs the correct habitat and a lot of it to be able to survive. There are lots of things that want to eat a grouse and they need food. So the more and more houses that go in, right. the less the correct habitat that grouse have in our areas. Like I can look around where my, where I live now and go, you know what? The grouse hunting is never going to get good again because I can look and I can see a neighbor in every direction. And grouse just don't live between houses like turkeys do. Yeah. So what, what the presence of this show to start in year one is I'm going to try to do what I'm considering the North American upland slam. And there are 26 species of upland birds that I'm going to go after 
in a single oh, wow. season and try to get them all on film. Wow. Never been never been done before. I, I know like 10 people that I actually know have done it. I'm sure there's got to be more that have done 20. There's 20 what I would call traditional species that have gone and done all 20. I know there must be a couple hundred of people that have done it over a lifetime. But what I want to do is kick the series off and it's the same concept as triple threat. We're going after each species in each area and we're telling the conservation story behind it. Because everybody loves to talk about mule deer. They love to talk about elk. They love to talk about whitetail because they got big racks. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. You don't, besides Project Upland, which has done an amazing job. I don't know if you guys follow those guys. Oh, yeah. Project yep. Upland. Project Upland. Man, <laughs> this is something. They made Upland hunting cool again. Like, well, it's true. <laughs> they, yeah. They brought, they brought it back. Like, I, I Upland hunted all the time. It has horrible ratings on TV. That's why you never see upland shows they just don't rate as good because you're not going to see a big elk or a big deer yeah so they they made it back and popular and i'm like you know what i'm gonna build on the momentum that they got because it's awesome to make it popular but how do you look at these species and say i want these to stay around for the next 50 years yeah pheasants are going to be around of course yeah grouse are going to be around but are mountain quail going to be around how many people truly know what a mountain quail well if and if you're not telling the story no one will know, and they'll just kind of, you know, if, it out. if you don't put a, a value on them, you know, and a, that's that's the important part of, I think, considering these things to be resources, right? You know, as, exactly. if, you, if you look at them as a resource, then you manage them like a resource. And, you know, it's the reason the free market works is because you value something that you can actually, you know, in a sense own. And so if it's a resource that you know about, you have a connection to, and Jared and I have talked about it. Uh, well, you've seen Meat Eater. They did the show on the uh, mm-hmm. Sooty Grouse, or, you know, there's a, a, an account, an Instagram guy uh, called up chucker and he does chucker hunting uh mm-hmm. and it's all of a sudden it's like wow that's actually it looks really cool you take beautiful pictures tell a great story mm-hmm. you know talk about the bird and it's like oh yeah i can get kind of get interested in that whereas before yeah. i just didn't know much about him at all exactly so on, on this my dad is joining him and we have four britneys between us oh cool so the whole journey is really about us what's with the dogs it's what i did when i grew up and i started hunting yeah that's what it is and I look back and some of the best days I ever had in the field were bird hunting behind my dog. <laughs> right. Like, we, we were out this morning. We kind of call this our last training before I hit the road on Sunday. And my wife's not here, so I can say I hit the road for four weeks, seven oh, different states, four-week road trip. And then we'll come back and we're here for like seven days. And then we go to Saskatchewan. And then we're like the whole fall is, is crazy because of the yeah. schedule. Wow. We were on our last trip today and we've got three of our Britneys are six years old. They're in the prime of their yeah, life. They're tip top. They're all different styles though. They all have their own personality. I've got a year and a half old dog that we're bringing along and she locked up <laughs> this morning. I almost started crying. Like she, it was like picture perfect. I like, I, I instantly put my gun on my shoulder. I'm trying to dig out my phone to grab a picture. I look at Grant, my camera guy's like, what are you doing? I'm like, you're videoing. You're not taking a picture. I want a picture so I can send to my kids. <laughs> and he's, he takes like one step forward and this pheasant erupts from his feet. Wow. And he, he's, so he's filmed with me everywhere for the last five years, but he's only filmed a handful upland hunts. So he's very, very new. He's very new into that. Yep. Like he, when he came to start to work with me, he had never hunted before. So oh, wow. Is, every, every experience <laughs> cool. is new So you him. shaped him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know, good or bad. But <laughs> he's got a lot <laughs> right. of experience now. And he, uh, by the time the year's over, he'll have more experience filming upland hunts than anybody I know. But the look on his face when he stepped on that, that brush pile and that pheasant came erupted out of it was priceless. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I mean, that sounds like a, a great, great project. Where, where can people go, you know, our listeners go to, to, to see that, that new series? Yeah, so here, here's the beauty. We're going to do this one as a digital series because i think it'll fit better cool with that we can tell more of a story because part of the problem with linear tv on hunting is each episode has to be 22 and a half minutes i assume you guys have watched a lot of outdoor tv you know what it's really it's really really tough to make an antelope hunt 22 and a half minutes (laughs) right it's truthfully speaking it's really tough to make a archery stand whitetail hunt 22 and a half minutes right like I, I like I look at those and I'm like with my shows and with the ones we do at the studio, like how do we keep people engaged for the 22 and a half minutes yeah. with Upland? I'm like, I look at it and go, I just don't think that we can do a show on hunting valley quail and mountain quail and make it carry 22 and a half minutes. OK, mm. like, yeah. I, I looked at that and said, I don't think I can do that. But with mountain quail, can I do a killer five to six minute show That's cool. showing yep. showing the habitat, showing the story, showing the area, showing the dogs? I can make that and people will watch that. So it's going to be a digital one. And I don't know if you guys covered this or not when you were on with HuntWise, but HuntWise is pretty darn close to having streaming on their app. 
Yep. Yeah. So this is going to be this is going to be one of the yep. first Huntwise original pieces. So oh, very cool. Talk about the the correct demographic to watch it. Talk about a cool project that they got behind and are helping me with. Yeah. Like like it, it's. It's just a win all the way around. Yeah, amazing. And they're, they're great guys. I mean, yeah. they're they're super supportive. Yeah, and Jeff, we've, they're hungry. Yeah, Jeff and Spencer are a bunch of great guys. And yeah. Matt, we've uh, we've been with you. And... Yeah, I've gotten to know those guys pretty well. Well, Mark, hey, we're, we're coming up on time here. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on. Uh, we'd actually like to have you come back. Uh, I want to talk to you more about some of your uh, your slams that you've been mm-hmm. working on. Uh, yeah. and so we'd love to schedule some more time. But, you know, for this past hour, we've really enjoyed talking to you well, perfect thanks for having me on guys great yeah so just for for everybody out there where can they find more information about you um all the work that you do your your outfitter fitting service and everything else yep so probably the best the best website for any any hunters or fishermen that like to just look go to worldwide trophy adventures we cover every nook and cranny that there is to possibly hunt in the world work with the best in north america from turkeys to waterfall you name it it's on there. If you want to play around and, and look at different trips of, that you could dream of, that would be it. Awesome. Uh, World, Worldwide Trophy Adventures also on social media, or you can follow myself, Mark Peterson, on Instagram and Facebook as well. Mark V. Peterson, I believe, is your, your Mark handle. V, Mark V. Peterson, correct. Yeah, that's yes. right. <laughs> and I have to say, V is my middle initial, so you'll see a lot of MVP with my stuff. Those are actually my initials. I like oh. that. Yeah, I like yeah. that. <laughs> well, cool, man. Thank you so much for coming on, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. Cool. Thanks, guys. Hey everybody, thanks again for taking a listen to this episode. Head on over to our Instagram page to stay up to date on everything that we're doing. If you're feeling squirrely, go smash that subscribe button on wherever you're listening to this podcast. We and, appreciate it. And tell your friends that we are Hot Hot Boga. Boga. Hot Boga Hunting.com.